Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Deeper Daily Podcast. I'm Paul White. It's the 20th day of May. Thanks for joining me. We're going to get into Jesus' warnings of offenses at the end of the ninth chapter of Mark. We'll do that in a moment. Before we do, I want to tell you about the message that you can look for tomorrow if you are so inclined to listen to our second Sunday release. We do the DDP, of course which we will do again tomorrow as we walk through Mark, but we also every Sunday put out a full-length sermon, something that I hope is a way to supplement your Christian diet. I hope it's not the only thing you're taking in, but something that matters. Uh, The message we're going to put up for you tomorrow is available on both audio and video, so if you'd like to watch the video, you can do so uh, at paulwhiteministries.com, or you can also do so at our YouTube page, PWM. The title of the message is The Glory That Comes From God. It was preached at the Crossroads World Outreach Center in West Columbia, South Carolina. This is from our trip there in the month of April. We went to Crossroads, which is our friend Josiah Hodge. Um, We ministered that morning from John 12. This is the story where Jesus is confronted, well, that's not true. Um, Philip and Andrew are confronted by a group of Greeks that say, sir, we want to see Jesus. They go to Jesus and they tell him, and then Jesus strangely does nothing to introduce himself to the Greeks. He doesn't go over and say hi. He doesn't say bring him over. He just goes into this, what seems to be at the surface, an odd little rant about how He's about to go into his father's glory, and then he references son of man, which was an old ancient Daniel 7 statement, and says if the seed doesn't go into the ground and die, it's alone. If it goes into the ground and dies, it brings forth much fruit. And from there, he goes into a little speech on the judgment and what the judgment looks like. What in the world are we to make of the fact that Jesus is confronted by a group of Greeks whom he never says a word to, and then goes off on a tangent on judgment and ends up with a statement made by John the writer that the people he's talking to don't accept him because they wanted the glory that comes from man rather than the glory that comes from God. Well, I base my sermon on that verse. We start, in fact, at the end. We read the final verse first and then work our way back through. And we wind up with the argument of what the glory that comes from man would look like versus the glory that comes from God and how Jesus was identified with the wrong groups in his day. That people, Some people had a hard time accepting Jesus because of what he didn't stand for and what he refused to do. And then the things that he did didn't line up with what they were looking for. This one ends in what I thought was a spectacular way. We end up with talking about the seed that needs to break open and some things that might need to break open in the hearts of the audience. Well, you, when you watch or listen to this, you become the audience. So we dig into some things that might need to break open in you. Some things, not that God's asking you to die every day, but that He is, if we'll listen showing us the things that need to be unleashed, allowed to, well, let's just say some things we could take our hands off of. I think you're going to enjoy this one. 
I hope you will check it out. It's available tomorrow. Wherever you get your podcast, you can hear the audio version. The glory that comes from God. Okay. In the remaining time that we have today, and I try to keep you right around the same amount of time every day, we are in the 43rd verse of Mark chapter 9. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. There is so much to talk about in relation to that big four-letter word, hell, and I mean four-letter word sort of tongue-in-cheek because it's used as a curse oftentimes. There's so much to be said about it, and I do want to do that, not at some sort of master class level, but a little deeper than just throwing it in at the end of a podcast. So let's save it. It's not for today. There's just not enough time to really do much justice. Instead, I want to point out that if you adhere to what is a rather popular but extremely young hermeneutic, and I mean young in that it's only the last 100 years or so that we have become so infatuated with biblical literalism where we think that We love to say things like, if the Bible says it, I believe it, and it's so. And what we really mean is, I think that if the Bible says it, it it happened exactly like that. And if it said, you should do exactly that. And that sort of interpretation releases us from doing any deep work on what the Scriptures might be trying to say to us. And we end up with just historical events, accounts. And it's the youngest way to read the Bible because our church fathers, stretching all the way back to the apostolic fathers and our New Testament writers, did not interpret these things literally, but they interpreted them spiritually. Paul at one point even says these things were figurative. At another point, he does a direct pull where he calls the rock that was in the wilderness that led Israel, he calls the rock Christ. And there's not a soul that was following, that was drinking from that rock in the wilderness that would have called it the Savior or the Messiah. Paul does. Was that actually Jesus there? Or is Paul showing us how to find Jesus in the Scripture? If you're a literalist, then if you have a problem with your hand or your foot or your eye, these are the three body parts Jesus mentions in verse 43, 45, and 47 then you need to pluck out your eyeball, cut off your hand, and cut off your foot. If they are causing you problems, we are to assume, if we're literalists, they cause you to sin. That's what the Scripture says. So in whatever way your hand or your foot or your eye is causing you to sin, you should cut them off so that you enter into life with only one eye, one hand, or one foot, rather than two and go to hell. And literalists interpret would, would, well, I've never, I'm going to be honest with you, I've never heard a literalist interpret this scripture. Because the minute they interpret it, you find out they're not literalists. Because none of them say, well, if you sin, you should cut your hand off so you can go to heaven with one hand. Because that doesn't even make sense. Why would cutting a hand off in the natural cause you to go to heaven with one hand? Shouldn't you get your hand back when you died? 
I'm not mocking the scriptures in the least. I'm, you know me. I'm, I highly, highly respect the scriptures. I don't respect all of our hermeneutical lenses. So there's got to be more than just literalism. We'll work on the more tomorrow. God bless.